that was Jojo and the Fugitives, Chips, Chicken, Banana Splits. Hello and welcome to The More the Merrier. I'm Donna G. And coming up on today's show, the first segment will be an interview with dancers Alan and Karen Kaja. And they are the co-founders of Kaja D Dance, and they have a community program coming up that is Dance for People of All Abilities. How wonderful is that? And then later on in the show, Heidi M. will be here to talk about the Sundance Film Festival. She's gone through the program guide, and she is going to share five of her selections with us. And I'm going to share one from the Sundance Film Festival. It's a film about Bill Cosby. Keep it locked to CIUT 89.5 FM. Here is Amai Kuda. And this is Dance Shaka Dance. And after that, you'll hear my interview with Alan and Karen Kaja. In a man say I need to look him. Should listen to what I told him. If I wanted to find a man, I wouldn't be up in this club for women.
to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G. The show is The More the Merrier. And we're talking dance right now. Moving Connections, Dancing Collected Stories by Kaja Dance. And joining me to talk about it are Karen and Alan of Kaja Dance. So Alan, for people who are not uh, familiar with Kaja Dance, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us how long the dance studio has been around and uh, how many years you've been dancing? Oh, my goodness. And, and we only have like five minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, asking so, for, uh, we're asking for the pricey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alan Kasia, and I'm co-artistic director of Kasia to Dance with my wife, Karen. And um, our company is actually heading into its 31st year. And the company is... Uh, uh, the principal activity is creation and touring, but we also create dance film. Uh, we travel all over the world and we uh, do community work. And this has been the foundation. I personally have been dancing for over 40 years. Karen. I am Karen Kasia and I have been dancing for many years. And I started when I was 18 studying dance therapy at York University and then got very engaged in performing, choreography. I lived in New York City for a while, in Montreal, dancing in both those air locations. And then, long, long story short, we ended up forming a company together after years of having danced together in a company and independently. It's interesting that you said you studied dance therapy because I was watching a little bit of your videos on YouTube and the movements are very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. So um, Karen, uh, how did Moving Connections come about? Um, Moving Connections was developed out of my work with community members. So uh, for many years I've been bringing professional dancers and community member non-professional movers together um, in order to create, collaborate, make dances and perform. And so I'm working on a new piece that will be performed at the end of 2022 live, all being well. And it uh, involved in that work are community members and so very slowly i've been developing a way of working with people where i engage them to collaborate and it becomes part of a dance a choreography that i'm making and when the pandemic um, struck i had already been working with 30 uh 30 adults and we just continue to develop it and put it online and it's been online through 2021 and it's something that everybody can do anyone can come and drop in and enjoy their time moving and connecting 
So there's already been one session of this, and there's another session coming up um, on January 30th. Alan, mm-hmm. what's it been like for you um, to choreograph or uh, think of movement for people who may not um, move beyond their daily activities? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And one of the, Karen and I devised uh, a teaching system process. We actually have a book published called Express Dance. And it's a, it's a method of, or an approach of drawing movement from the people themselves so that what we are doing and our dancers, our facilitators, our community leaders, we have a big group of people are doing is assisting all those who are coming to the workshop to create their own movement. So stories are read and the movement creation is coming from the participants and the stories are from all over the place and very different intentions and uh, they're, they're being written now as we speak. And so it's a really beautiful process so that somebody is not only coming to the workshop to be actively involved with the warm up and whatnot, but to be actively involved in their own personal expression. And, and that's why we also encourage people of all ages and all abilities, because you can introduce a, a movement, uh, at, whether you're standing, whether you're seated, whether you're only able to be reclined, you know, a movement of your chin is as gorgeous as a movement of your full being. And I noticed in the information that Adults ages 50 plus are encouraged to participate. Thank you for speaking to my crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I've seen Kaija dance, um, you know, down at uh, at Harborfront. And um, so I know what your company and your dancers are capable of. So when I saw this, I thought, (laughs) I don't know how I know what a plie looks like. I don't think I've actually ever done one. Um, intentionally. <laughs> so um, so tell me more about that, Alan, about um, choreographing for different, different abled bodies. Well, say, for example, uh, in one of the, the stories that Irma uh, Villafuente uh, uh, read to us tonight, we actually had a, had a session before our class, and uh, there was about a dozen people there. And one of the the words out of this story, they're short stories, they're like a hundred words, was there's shy, there's hope, there's dignity. And for example, one of the the people who are non-dancers chose the word dignity and they touched their, their, uh, their sternum and opened their arms to the sky. And that's an action that anyone can do. Right. So we don't have to be dancers throwing each other above our heads. We can take a simple gesture like lifting our arm above our head can have immense meaning for us for the word hope. Right. And so that's why it's it's very accessible to everyone. And whatever the gesture is, you may want to take your hand and move it to your forehead. Right. That's a beautiful, beautiful action. I'm doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
So these uh, workshops are happening over Zoom. So Karen, once somebody registers, what is the next step um, through that registration process? Um, they will register and they will receive an email from that registration saying that they're confirmed. And I think they'll just basically get the link to be able to join. And what, yeah, and what will that first class look like? The first class will look kind of very similar to the last class. There are two six-week sessions, or we're calling them modules, and there's six workshops within a module. So it's every Sunday from 10 to 11, and each one will have the same approach. So the approach, the, the warm-up, the style in which we bring people together to collaborate, to create in breakout rooms with very simple movement based on the stories, that is all the same each time. What is different are the stories, the movement that everyone will come up with, um, but the structure of it is always the same. So if you come back every week, you experience being uh, making dances with different people because there'll always be different people in your breakout group. You'll be led by the same facilitators the whole way through, so there'll be that familiarity and the familiarity of the approach, the um, you know how the class goes from a warm up to uh, onward to um, a sample of what we're doing to then going into a breakout room and being led through what everyone's creating and then a closure so that that system will always be the same but the dances will always be different so you could come back every week or you could be new to the process and always feel comfortable to come in so so once we've gone through as karen was saying the warm-up the demonstration of how to create a phrase the uh there's a, a lead uh, individual that's part of Moving Connections who will go into the breakout room. So Mio Sakamoto is our Zoom wizard and she'll make sure there's a lead person and then a random group of participants will go into this breakout room. And then with the facilitation of the lead, the lead will reread the story again and help guide people in finding their voice or in other words, their movement. And then everyone is learning each other's movement and building what we call a movement phrase. Okay, so in that breakout room, for example, I will have to come up with a movement? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. You'll, you'll, be, you'll, you'll be gently guided to finding a movement. For example, there's you said- a leader, There's a leader in every breakout group that will, completely, completely guide everyone in the room in terms of how to uh, create a movement. And it will all, yeah, it will, yes. Yeah, and, and then if, and, and pe people again are encouraged to be as comfortable as they want. And if they don't want to have their camera on, it's okay, right? We, we have uh, processes. Uh, to be able to to work with everyone. But after we create the phrase in the breakout room, then we come back into the main space and then groups are encouraged to share their phrase. And I have to say, they're beautiful. You know, what 
everyday people, you know, sometimes people don't realize that they're absolutely stunning, gorgeous movers. And that's just reality, you know, and but we just don't practice it all the time. But for example, uh, Donna, you also brought your hand to your forehead. What a gorgeous action. (laughs) Okay, so you're, you're breaking this down and you're making it seem less intimidating. Um, for me and probably uh, for the listeners. And I appreciate the fact that you're allowing people to have the video on or or not as they feel comfortable. So each week, so there's a story involved each week. Uh, Karen, yes. tell us more. Every week, you a new story will be read and the, the uh, sample group, so the teachers and one of our co-facilitators will demonstrate how to do it. And everyone that's there for the workshop will witness that. And then when they go into the breakout rooms, they'll work with that same story and they'll choose one word to, or one idea or one image or one feeling to create a movement for and then that will be strung together all those movements will be put together um, and then we get to show each other after they're made on zoom oh wonderful now this these workshops are free 100 Uh, something we've been doing the whole pandemic is offering even some of our performances and so on in our films have been free we want to make sure that People are moving, people are healthy, people are connecting. And it's a really lovely way to bring people together and to sort of come out of their home in a way, but at home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, Alan, did you want to add to that? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say that it's always been so important for Karen and I, and we've done this for decades, that our community work is free. We're, we're, we're here for the total community and that everyone is welcome. And so we just wanted to make sure that the word gets out that everyone is welcome from uh, wherever you are in the city and, uh, and your, your, how comfortable you feel moving. So Alan, you mentioned um, that, you know, Cage of Dance is a, a touring company. And I appreciate this initiative that you're doing on Zoom, but how has it been for the two of you as a company um, dealing dealing with COVID? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, I'll I'll let Karen go first. Um, No, no, you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I'll just give a little bit of context. So, Uh, Karen and I have been involved with film for 25 years. We've actually been involved with live stream and Zoom for four years. So before all this was even a thing, we were already working with it. So when COVID shut down the world, we just pivoted. We just said, okay, we're now on Zoom. We're now online. Let's make this work. So we literally, within a few weeks, took all of our programming and moved it online. So our all our workshops went online. We made everything free. Uh, all of our 
uh, we started doing performances, both live stream, and now we're shooting films, like so many different films. So that's the, the way that we've uh, pivoted, but it's also been so important for us to keep our dancers working. And uh, that's really important and that they're being paid and, and um, we're, we're doing as much as we can to keep everyone as active as possible. Karen? Yeah, I mean, I think that because we're very, you know, our nature is very fluid and um, responsive and we are a small company, so we don't have to go through a lot of hoops to make changes. So um, we're just we kind of thrive on responding. And um, though this is quite a bit of responding now, you know, and, that <laughs> way and so on, it um, we're just I was supposed to be in a performance at the end of this month, but instead now we're getting a live performance in Montreal. And now we're pivoting and we're going to make a film. So that's like how quick and that all happened last week, that decision. And so I think the, the great thing is that we have built a life where we're really ready to respond to new things and turn them into opportunities, though feeling the loss of some that could have been. But some of these also, some of these things that get canceled are moving forward into 2023 and, you know, but it's, it's really something I will say. Yeah, it's really, yeah. it is really something. And I mean, I mean, <laughs> you said you had a performance coming up, so your body has been preparing for that. Yep. And then all of a sudden yep. it's gone. Yep. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, you know, physically, emotionally, intellectually, it's quite draining, the the whole pandemic. And then on the other side of it, some very lovely things have happened in offerings. And, you know, we are striving to try and keep the dancers that we work with, um, you know, working as much as we can. Cause as engaged as possible. And um, <clears throat> yeah, and the other thing, that I would like to 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 mention is that you, you know we we really feel for the emerging dance artists, the younger generations, because you, you know Karen and I have been around for forty years, so we're actually used to the ebbs and flows of what this field can be. You, you know, from droughts to being so hyper busy, but for some of the the younger generation that are just getting their footing. Uh, you, you know, we're trying to provide as much opportunity as we can because it's very, very, very difficult for them. That's a revealing point that you've made, Alan, in terms of uh, you and Karen, you know, used, being used to riding the wave. So whether it's COVID or, you know, lot, lack of opportunities, you've always been able to fill something in. But I never really thought about, you know, the newer performers who are raring to go and not used to that feast and famine sort of lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, literally, like, there's a lot of uh, dancers who go through the dance programs and, you know, they launch out of the program, and but it's a different launch right now, you know. But the other thing is that they're getting new training in their schools, for example, like at um, university dance programs or other professional dance programs. They're now getting dance on film instead of say a choreography workshop so they are learning new skills and also ways to to mobilize themselves into new worlds into the dance world what i've come to appreciate about 
you know, the negativity of, of COVID is the <laughs> fact that um, there's high, there are hybrid performances now happening where people can, you know, see a live, well, once we open up again, people can see the live performance, but there will also be a simultaneous online accessibility um, for viewers. Yeah. What do yeah. you think of that? I, I like it um, okay. because there, there have been times where, um, you know, as a, as a community radio programmer, I'm a volunteer, so I have my day job. And sometimes it's difficult for me to get from my day job to a performance that I would like to see. Or sometimes mm -hmm. I'm just too tired, even though I really want to see a performance. So this hybrid allows me a chance to be at home and to see the performance. And, you know, I also think of those people who were, you know, traveling is expensive for them. So right. that's, that's a barrier. Um, for them. I, I do miss the, the live energy that mm -hmm. can only come from, you know, whoever is in that audience and what's happening on stage. I, I, I do miss that. And I, I crave it. <laughs> I crave mm -hmm. it. But I, I'm hoping that as we move forward in the arts world, um, they will continue to be the, the hybrid uh, performances. What do you think about that, um, Karen? Um, I think that personally, digital will not go away. I think it's here to stay now. Mm -hmm. So I think that most theaters right now are considering that as not really only a backup, but as a, a separate opportunity as you're speaking for all those reasons that you're saying and more. Um, you know, this way we do perform a live performance in Toronto and someone in the UK can witness it. Yes. Right? The yes. And they can, this, the, for me, doing a live stream is much more difficult than, you know, taping it ahead of time and, um, and then putting it up for live stream at the time. So really sticking to the live stream during the live performance is incredibly tricky and risky. You know, your internet might go out while you're shooting, mm -hmm. all kinds of things can happen. But the kind of energy that's created for the witness that is watching the live stream in that case, is they're watching a live performance. Yes. They're not watching a predetermined, um, you know, a pre-shot thing. So personally, uh, you know, I think it's very interesting. And also as a performer, when I'm creating film, I know I can do take one, take two, take three, you know, we can shoot it several times often. But when you're doing this live performance for live stream, it's a one time deal, right? So there's that <laughs> excitement, which is different. Film is very exciting to me as well. It's just a different excitement. You know, this is the only time. And I think as a performer for me, that is definitely one aspect that I love. It's like being in the moment. And that's when you're communicating with your body. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that was beautifully said, Karen. Um, the, the other thing for me is that I've always been fascinated with technology. And there was one area that I've been wanting to move into 
which is AR, augmented reality, which you know starts to move into a whole different type of 3D world. And what this has done is allowed me to delve into it. You, you know, Karen and I have always believed in you know following our fascination. And here suddenly, you know, we're delving into QR code dances, a augmented reality. So in my so for our upcoming production, you know, I'm integrating this technology, the idea of perception of multiple cameras, how do we see, how do we experience someone's story? And then because of the augmented reality, I can now have giants in the space interacting with the dancers, right? And giants dancing together and dancers dancing together and everyone interacting seamlessly. So for me, it's been really stimulating and, and just opening my mind to a whole new area of fascination and visualization. And, uh, we're, you know, we're going to encourage people to bring their own devices to the performance so that they can begin to watch the performance in a myriad of different uh, experiences. That sounds exciting. <laughs> sounds exciting. <laughs> to be continued, definitely. 100%. <laughs> So, Karen, I'm going to leave it to you to wrap up, give people the details of the where and when and how to register. Do you have the dates in front of you, Alan? I, I do. So yes. our first one is January 30th, it's, and it's for six weeks. So it goes to March 6th, and it's every Sunday morning from 10 to 11. And then there's a small two-week break, and then we resume again. I believe it's March 20, uh, 27th through to... Um, uh, May the, the 1st, I think it is, but it's every Sunday uh, from 10 to 11. And if you go on to our website, kasia.org, so that's spelled K-A-E-J-A.org. And then right in the very opening page, you'll see the link to Moving Connections and then just follow the uh, the links and that'll take you to registration and and come dance with us. Drop-ins are welcome. You don't have to yep. have the time and it is free. Wonderful. Karen and Alan, thank you so much uh, for doing this interview. I'm going to participate and I'll send you awesome. some feedback. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be thank amazing. We'd love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for thank being you. with us. Times are hard, but you know what? We gotta make it real. We shall take off three bands and dance. Dance. We shall take off three bands and go on. We shall take off freedom and live the life we want. We shall take.
listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G, The More the Merrier, and joining me is regular contributor to The More the Merrier, Heidi M, and she is an arts and culture writer and her website is highmusings.ca. H Y E M U S I N G S.ca. Heidi's here today to talk about the Sundance Film Festival and her picks that you might want to check out. The festival runs until January the 30th. So Heidi, as usual, welcome to the show. Thank you, Donna. Nice to be back. So let's jump right in and talk about one of your first selections. Sure. So you know that I love documentaries. So I'll talk about a documentary first. The name of the film is TikTok Boom. So it's like the app, TikTok, and it's uh, the director is Shalini Kantaya. And I came to know her work through Sundance in the past um, from another documentary called um, Coded Bias. So I like to look for um, familiar names. And this documentary is basically looking at the very influential platform that is TikTok in contemporary social media. And uh, it's looking at the algorithm, the social, political, economic, and cultural differences, and the impact of the history-making app. That's sort of uh, the synopsis that they're giving on the website. So I'm kind of curious about what what the documentary will be like. For those people who are not familiar with TikTok, can you Mm -hmm. just uh, fill people in about TikTok? Well, TikTok, I can't be... um, an expert on TikTok, as I'm not a, a full-time user of the app, but essentially it is uh, social media in that you can create short videos. Uh, for those who use Instagram, it's very close to Reels, and you can do dance challenges or create your own sort of content with, um, you know, social movements, uh, you know, science, inf- scientific information, debunking 
myths around vaccines, for example. So it's a platform where we can talk about different themes, but it also has a fun aspect to it because it's short, like short videos. Uh, and um, it just happens to be sort of the app du jour, like every, a lot of the young mm-hmm. people are gravitating to that app. And uh, it's become quite quite the leading app in social media. So a lot of the people, um, the developers in Instagram and all the other ones are trying to catch up to TikTok when it comes to going viral these days. I've even seen people in public doing little TikTok videos. (laughs) And uh, it's like take one, take two. And, you know, they put a lot of work into these uh, little reels that, that last you know, sometimes even just 30 seconds or shorter. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's TikTok Boom, a documentary. And mm-hmm. um, another one, um, you mentioned this to me, Brainwashed Sex Camera Power. Yes. Uh, share with the audience uh, what that provocative title uh, may lead to. So to be honest, I went with the title first. <laughs> of course, and, of course. Uh, of course we do. Um, but it is also nonfiction. So the way that the film is summarized is that they're using more than 175 film clips from very well-known Hollywood films and called classics. And they're mixing it with interviews with filmmakers and other uh, scholars of film to show this framework of misogyny um, from early cinema to current day. Um, and they're sort of, I guess, trying to open our eyes, if you will, or our minds, since it's called brainwash, to the fact that we've sort of become used to seeing these, this level of content in some of our own favorite movies. So I'm always up to being challenged, you know? So it sounds like it's going to give me something to think about. Yes. And it's, it's interesting because sometimes we see a film in childhood and then mm-hmm. we see it later, you know, when we've matured and we realize there's a lot going on here that, you know, my little brain couldn't have digested um, early on. But then you see some of the power dynamics that are happening on the screen. So I can definitely see uh, the power of mm-hmm. the camera and how, you know, sex and sexualization um, works. So mm-hmm. good choice, sure. Heidi. Good choice. Yeah. So I have so, my work cut out for myself. <laughs> yeah. So this year's Sundance again is 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 it all digital this year or is it going to be a hybrid? You know, they actually had aimed to go a hybrid. And for those of us who cover it from outside the US, we had the option of either one. I had opted to stay digital because of current circumstances, but just about last week. Um, they decided to go fully digital because of the current pandemic state. So we're back again. Yeah. 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 We're back back. online. Okay. I take it these films that are not geo-blocked. You know what? I think they are geo-blocked. I think that's something that I'm going to uh, mention now because I believe that I may have certain privileges because I'm somebody who is covering the festival, not just as a patron. So I would say that if you have listeners in the U.S., you can definitely access it. For, but those outside of the U.S., I believe, will have limitations. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So audience, if you do find those limitations, you can look for some of these films at other festivals that may be coming up. Um, Heidi, you're a documentary follower, so um, maybe Hot Docs? Yeah, so that's a good segue because I did want to mention that some of these uh, films 
uh, at Sundance do end up coming to festivals in Canada later in the year. So I would say hot dogs is definitely one to look out uh, for documentaries and even TIFF sometimes overlaps in some of the selections. Not a lot, but maybe a couple. You're the first one that told me about a film called Flea. Yes. Out of uh, Iran. And, you know, uh, no, it's I not, think not, it's not, a, not Iran. Sorry. It's a Scandinavian, but the the subject is from Afghanistan. I yes, believe. that's what I'm mixing mm-hmm. up. Yes. Apo- apologies. Um, so these titles do pop up. So, you know, keep them in mind. So we've talked about TikTok boom, uh, brainwashed mm-hmm. sex camera power. And what's next on your list, Heidi, for us to watch out for? Another one is a feature. This one is fiction called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand and uh, or Grande, depending on how you pronounce it. And um, I gravitated to this film because it stars Emma Thompson and I'm a fan of Emma Thompson. (laughs) And um, I thought it looked, the picture looked interesting. When you go online, I think you could see why she's in bed with a, Mm -hmm. with an attractive person. (laughs) Who looks younger. Who looks younger than, than Emma's character, whose name is Nancy. And I think it's about uh, sort of like an older woman learning to enjoy sex and her sexuality. And I'm sure there's one, there's something else going on besides that. Um, and uh, I think I'm just really curious about that dynamic because I want to see that more on screen. And it's written by a comedian, Katie Brown. Yes, yes, yes. So, so I'm assuming it's going to be a mix of not just drama, but it's going to be a, uh, like comedy drama. Okay. And you're still right about Emma Thompson. She can never go wrong with an Emma Thompson film. Exactly. Exactly. Now I'm looking at one that um, the picture reminds me of uh, the film Scarborough in a way um, Mm -hmm. called Summering. Why did you have that one on your to see see list? I will say it was also the picture. (laughs) Uh, This year I went uh, with either filmmakers are recognized or just by title and, and images. So uh, summering, I like the photo of the young um, people on who I'm assuming are the main characters. And it's about four friends um, who are basically going to go their separate way soon when they go to middle school and they're spending their last weekend together. So I'm guessing it's in the summer, the last summer weekend. And what is, a, it's sort of, they're embarking on a, on a life-changing adventure um, is the description. So I'm always uh, curious about these sort of coming-of-age films too um, and, uh, and the dynamic of, of that age group, right? And whether or not those bonds stay or, or, or not in terms of friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the classic question that um, was asked in you know, the now classic Stand By Me Mm-hmm. what happens to childhood friendships. So that's called summering. Yes. And talk about another image, you know, that jumps out at you. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing one in the film called Master mm-hmm. and Regina Hall, you know, <laughs> that image of her, you know, in the dark of night in a winter coat, and the light is just shining on half of her face and, you know, interesting expression on her face. You wonder what she's thinking. So master, tell us what that's about, Heidi. So yes, Donna, Regina Hall. I'm also a fan of her work. Uh, I think I told you this in, in the past. So the picture was sort of what attracted me at first. But once I actually read the description of 
master, um, I was a little bit more curious about the film. So it is, um, it basically is um, taking place at an elite New England university built on the site of a Salem era gallows hill. And three women are striving to find their place. And Regina Hall is one of the characters uh, who is just being instated as master or dean of students. Um, then then, then um, I think there are other characters like a first year student and, and a professor and they're all women. What I also found interesting about the description of this film is that the writer director, Mariama Diallo is also um, their first feature. So I'm always curious to see uh, first time film, uh, first time feature um, films. And the description just kind of grabbed my attention because they're, they're calling it a blend of horror, drama, psychological thriller and a social critique. Uh, I think it sounds like uh, Get Out, just from, you know, the reading, the psychological thriller and social critique. So um, I'll have to see, um, and you'll have to tell me once you see it, um, if that pans out, if it is any way similar to to Get Out. Yes, but, for sure. Yeah, but Regina Hall is, is one of my favorites. And there's a little film called Support the Girls, um, mm-hmm. which I love, which is just set in a, you know, a Southern... Um, bar kind of like Hooters and you know the dynamics between the women that work there and the boss and she has an outstanding performance in this little uh, gem of a film so Regina Hall the film is called Master Um, I had a chance to screen something Um, it's a four-part series by W. Kamau Bell Mm -hmm. and it's called, We Need to Talk About Cosby. Oh, yeah. And I was very happy to have the link. And I even said to the publicist, I said, you know, I grew up with, with Cosby. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I said, I'm, I'm sure this is going to hurt. This is going to be a tough watch. And uh, because of the, you know, the mixed feelings, because of his place in society, the, the sort of first Black man sort of um, privileges that, he he had you know breaking all these barriers down for us and you know the the power that he had as an african-american male and it's interesting that the power that he has as an african-american male is exactly why he was able to uh get away um, with what he Mm -hmm. was able to do um and you listen to the women talk and it's chilling how similar their stories are. And oh, wow. Yeah. So you're, you're seeing the side by side comparison, and they're, you know, they're clips from his movies, his stand up. They sort of, you know, trace his career. You have um, academics and writers and uh, television uh, people being interviewed to talk to uh, W. Kamau Bell about Cosby. And, mm-hmm. you know, what he means to them and how they perceive him. And it's a fascinating um, documentary, a fascinating look at this very complex um, subject matter, you know, mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the hero that we all sort of look to, the, the comfort, the dad that we all look to, and then the reality behind everything 
that we're that we're seeing. It's at Sundance, but on January the 30th, it will be broadcast on Showtime and other video on demand platforms. Okay. So it's called We Need to Talk About Cosby and we definitely need to talk about him. And this is going to spur uh, some dialogue. A lot of discussions for sure. Yeah, yeah. Very well done and very brave of W. W. Kamau Bell to, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. to put this on the screen because I'm sure people would have shied away from doing it. Yeah, I know. I think so. And it's also, I think it's still very relevant, you know, a discussion because there are people who are still, you know, like you said, a lot of us grew up watching the Cosby show and just watching him as well um, and are conflicted about, what's been happening mm-hmm. and there's people who deny it outright too right mm-hmm. so it's important to have these ways of communicating and discussing the situation as troublesome and as angry as it may make us you know mm-hmm. and of course in talking about Cosby you also um, have to talk about the women who were brave enough to come forward absolutely um, and the documentary definitely paints exactly how powerful um he was Mm -hmm. um, in terms of you know where he was in the industry and the amount of money that um he has and still has so for sure yeah so uh, do you miss going to Sundance in person Heidi yeah you know it was it's really unfortunate because I had the experience of going once and I had been looking forward to going again because you know your first time at any festival you are still sort of learning a lot of things of how do I navigate going to a cinema? Do I have enough time? And just being in a new environment. And I said to myself, well, you know, now I know what to expect. So I definitely want to go back and be better prepared. But um, I do miss the energy of just being somewhere else, whether, you know, being in the mountains, being around the mountains and in the winter and just, um, it kind of reminds me of TIFF a little bit that you get to kind of mingle with, um, with film, uh, you know, cast and crew and outside of the theaters as well. Like you could just be bumping into them at a local, you know, restaurant or, or cafe. So, you know, it's bittersweet in that sense. Right. Yeah. But we all have to stay safe. So Heidi, where can people see um, your picks and then later your reviews as mm-hmm. you screen these films? Um, Yes. So I will be posting on my website, highmusings.ca, but they can also find more real-time updates on my social media pages. So at High Musings, either on Twitter or Instagram, and the same thing for Facebook. Um, I have a page under my name of High's Musings. I also wanted to um, add one extra point. I just looked at the website for the festival and in the section of, I don't live in the United States, can I still watch films? Um, They say that international audiences can experience the new frontier and indie series programs if you purchase an Explorer Pass. But everyone is welcome to join the Beyond Film Talks and events. So they do have virtual events now. Um, that are accessible to anybody internationally. So I would also recommend checking out some of those events because sometimes they're really interesting talks um, and talk, uh, not just Q and A's, but after a film, but just talks with different um, film people, film crew, and, and, and even other media. 
And the website for Sundance is sundance.org, sundance.org to take you to the festival. Thank you, Heidi, for joining me today and talking about the Sundance Film Festival. Thank you, Donna. I had fun. When the movie hit and people started going, your father sort of broke maybe about six or seven laws. And that is the voice of Bill Cosby talking to Mario Van Peebles about his father's film, Sweet Sweet Back. And of course, that father is Melvin Van Peebles. And the movie, Sweet Sweet Back, Melvin Van Peebles went to Bill Cosby, who loaned him money towards the film. Very, very interesting. Bill Cosby is linked to so many firsts and so many historical aspects of the film industry, of black life, um, inseparable from his monstrous behavior, which makes the film, We Need to Talk About Cosby, such a fascinating watch. I hope you get a chance to see it. Here now is another piece from the film Badass, where I took that sample of Bill Cosby talking. This is Badass by Mario Van Peebles, and the song is called Lumumba.
Maria Makiba and Lumumba from the Badass soundtrack. Thank you for spending time with me today on The More the Merrier. Before I sign off, I just want to acknowledge that the track that you heard after my interview with Alan and Karen Kaja, that track is Freedom and Dance by Lillian Allen. If you'd like to get in touch with me, www.ciut.fm, click on The More the Merrier, or you can reach me at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Leaving you now with Electrified by Jeff Kearns. <laughs>